Hello, and welcome to EPR with your favorite environmental enthusiast, Nick and Laura. On today's episode, we give our shout outs. Nick and I discuss how to handle doing work that doesn't align with your personal beliefs. And Toby makes a stunning appearance mid-segment that <laughs> ruins just about everything. <laughs> he really does. It's great. Yeah. Certainly stop this in her tracks. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> then we talk to Laurel Glass-Lees, a regulatory affairs specialist at Controlled Thermal Resources about dermal... Dermal. Dermal. <laughs> That's <a new> one. <laughs> Geothermal energy, lithium, and the power of love. Which is absolutely a Back to the Future reference. And maybe I'm dating myself, but the movie's great and you should watch it. I'm just saying. That's probably to you younger persons out there. Everyone who's our age and older has seen it like 400 times. 400 times. <laughs> but it's still, it, you know, it's still great. It's still great. And uh, just, just, I'm telling you, if you haven't seen the movie, go watch it. And finally, this day in science in 1975, Harvard professor McElroy and other scientists concerned about atmospheric ozone depletion proclaim their support for banning Chlorofluorocarbon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I got her. I got her. There we uh, go. Banning chlorofluorocarbons as propellant in spray cans. And uh, what happened to that? I don't know. You started out strong and then right in the middle, you just, you know, all confidence gone. You just. <laughs> oh, I totally meant what happened to ozone depletion. Oh, yeah. No. Sorry. Yeah. That actually makes a lot more sense. Um, and yeah, we were talking about <laughs> it. I have no idea. I don't know. We haven't talked about it in ages. Is it just because I'm not in school anymore? But like, I don't, I couldn't I don't know. tell you. Acid I literally couldn't and, tell you. And ozone depletion. I don't, I don't know if we fixed them or if we just stopped talking about them. I think we fixed some of it, right? I think, you know, California enacted like all of those air quality regulations. I know I that, so. that changed some of the way smog came through, but yeah, I don't hear about acid rain at all anymore. So I'm just going to assume that everything's great now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Hit that music. Today's shout out is a special one for us. I want to give a, a really big thank you to Betty Dahoney. She is the outgoing NAEP president and she's just an all around great person. She has been instrumental in, you know, affecting a lot of really great positive change and really doing a lot of great, wonderful things uh, from a leadership perspective. I mean, she exemplifies professionalism, determination and support, which is what every great leader does. And we honestly can't thank her enough for her dedication to NAEP. You know, so yeah, yeah, thank you, Betty, for everything you do. Be sure to share your promotions, new jobs, professional and project awards with us here on the EPR website. If you would like to sponsor a future episode, head over to environmentalprofessionalsradio.com and check out our sponsor form for details. Let's get to our segment. Yeah. I don't know if you had to do, I had to, oh, I had an awful, awful job that the vegetarian vegan in me is like so mm -hmm. disgusted by. Oh, wow. Okay. What was your job? <laughs> I was a, well, it wasn't necessarily a job at that point, but it was for graduate undergrad research credits. Mm -hmm. And I worked yeah. in the herp lab cool. and we were doing studies. Well, I wasn't, I was helping with someone who was doing studies on the, I think it's the Southern fence lizard. Okay. Yep. That's one. <laughs> and, uh, and another type of lizard, like the native lizards to Florida that are being moved out by the anoles. Yeah. And um, then anyway, the fun part would be going out and hunting them and finding them. And then they would, of course, then be snatched from their natural habitat, which kills me. And then yeah. 
they would, I can't remember, like we ended up incubating their eggs. I don't remember how those were harvested or found or whatever. But then when the babies were born to identify them, you had to cut off a certain finger or toe. Like that's Mm. how they were identified. And I just did my little job as a, you know, this is what I was told to do, but I, and, I, and don't get me wrong, at the time, I hated it. It was oh, yeah. like, whatever. But good God, how gruesome. Like, can we find a different way to do this or just put them all in different cages or something? I just, yeah. that part of like being an environmental scientist where some people think like it's all for the greater good of science. Yeah. I don't agree. So I don't even know how I ever even got myself to do something like that. Yeah. But I mean, you know, like I say, we all have challenges, you know, with what we do sometimes. And I mean, I think with the lizards, the thing, how you justify it is like they regenerate. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they're likely going to lose toes in the natural half. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to- Toby. <laughs> Toby. Toby has taken center stage on Laura's screen and he is very... Very much disapproves of what <laughs> oh, he's like. Funny. He's like, you did what? Yeah. Oh my. Oh, God. for you guys listening, um, the podcast just decided to like. Oh, here he is. Yeah, green. There he is. Yeah. Just raise his head ever so slowly and look sternly into the camera. It was perfect. It was like, just like a what movie. did you say oh you just gosh. did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is not okay, Laura. Is what he was. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Well, yeah. But, so how about you, know, you? Like, did you? Like stuff that, yeah. Well, I mean, so my graduate research was with box turtles, right? And we did have a, an identification system, which was, it's typically just, you know, filing out a notch in a shell. Right. But one of my, I guess the lead for the project actually had a drill and he would drill holes in it because it's <gasps> really, but it's again, it's the same kind of thing. It's like cutting your fingernails and it's like, uh, it sounds way worse. Than I know, right? But like, it's one of those things because like you can get a chip in the shell naturally that looks like a, a mark. And so he would be like, well, this this way, there's nothing that's going to look like this. And so you could tell turtles apart that way. Right. Um, it's still kind of traumatizing. The really scary part for me, the really, really tough part was, you know, part of what I did was take blood from box turtles, mm-hmm. right? And so I had to literally try to open up a you know a turtle that wants nothing to do with you, hope it doesn't pee on me, <laughs> and then stab it in the you know at the base of the neck and pull out blood. And that's not easy. So you know I'm like the I felt like a nurse on day one, you know, like the first day where you're supposed to draw blood from people, and I'm just missing everywhere. You oh know? God, I'm, I'm so yep. sorry. It's not it's my first day. I don't know why. So that was always stressful for me. Like I I just felt so bad for <laughs> like i'm so sorry okay. i know the torture we do on these animals for the name of science it's yeah. crazy it's oh, I mean, greater good but can you imagine like if aliens showed up here and we're like we're just taking some blood samples yeah yeah i know <laughs> like, right don't yeah. mind us drilling into your your whatever it's gonna grow back it's cool <laughs> yeah. don't worry we're just gonna take the tips of your fingers you still have the rest <laughs> of them um, yeah. know, right oh god i know, I know. <laughs> and you know I think, like, too, when you have something that you have to do, like, there's, there's stuff you learn as you go, right? You get better at understanding the things that really mean something to you. So mm-hmm. when, like, you, you know, Laura now versus Laura when she's in, you know, in school, they're, they're two different people. And so a lot of times I think when we grow, we kind of, we just prioritize what's actually important to us. We know. And then we are able to stand up about it or stand up for it better the older we get. Because you just care a little bit less about 
what other people think and you care more about <laughs> <For sure. laughs> living my best life. You know, like I, this is the only one we got. So you have to do what's right for you. Right. And I think that takes very deep understanding of what your values are and what's important to you and not yeah. compromising them. And I think that's where regrets come from for the most yeah. part is that place where we go and we're like, well, just this one time or right you know, in right. the name of science or whatever. And the younger mm -hmm. I think you can figure that out, the happier you're going to be. Yeah, I know. Right. And there are people that like just already have that. I know. It's awesome. They're the, they're the worst. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> like Laurel, I think Laurel might want to be one of those people. So yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. I love hearing all the stuff that she had to say. So I think, you know, we've said enough for today. Let's let's listen to Laurel. All right. Sounds great. We are super, super excited to have Laurel Glass-Lees here. She is a multi-passionate entrepreneur, a stakeholder capitalist, and an environmental professional, as well as a board member at large with the California AEP. And she still has time to stop in here and join us today. So <laughs> welcome, Laurel. So glad to have you. Woo. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm stoked. Yeah. Um, as we were just talking about, Nick is probably going to have a hard time with uh, <laughs> Laura Laurel and his wife's name being Lauren. So, <laughs> it's your lot sorry. in life to be surrounded by alliterative L's. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Which is funny because I'm surrounded by J's, but we'll talk about that a different time. Yeah, I, so, I've got a J. My husband's a J. Oh, oh wow. There you go. Now you talk, got another one. We're talking about that after hours. <laughs> um, but I did want to talk about your middle name. So I thought it yes. was interesting why sometimes you include that and to, to point out that that's not a married name. Truth. Yeah. So my actual last name is Lees. My middle name is Glass. And I like to have it written out professionally as Laurel Glass Lees. It just, I know, it looks cool. I like the alliteration. Plus my last name, my maiden name, Glass, I'm the youngest of three daughters. And my dad was an only child. And so the patriarchal name does, it stops with us unless we right. carry it forward. I was born without a middle name. So I was just Laurel Glass. Oh. And when I got married to James Lees, mm. I moved it over and I just like, I like um, annoying people. And then, it, it, like we're doing now, I don't know how that's annoying people. But. No, I love it. Well, yeah. it's really fun when people try to figure out like what your work email is. They're like, yeah. is it Laurel oh, yeah, yeah. Is it Laurel Glass dot Lees? Is it Laurel dot Lees? <laughs> is it Laurel Lees? Like, what is it? Right. And I just like, I'm like, mm, what do you want it to be? What's, <laughs> how do you feel about that? Yeah. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit more about the work you're doing now. So many things. I'm grateful to live a fulfilling professional and personal life that is full of work. Things like this give me joy. One of yeah. my biggest passion projects is the Orion podcast, which is co-hosted with my business partner, Jessa Spainauer and co-founder of A Stellar Co. Mm -hmm. We are business guides. So we work with small businesses on their strategic planning and we help to do it from a stakeholder capitalism point of view, as well as like a more progressive regenerative business framework. Our tagline is do business without being a blank. Like D, <laughs> D blank, 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 blank. Um, and we, we like to say that we're guiding the conscious economy. So our Orion podcast is to connect the knowledge and resources that people want to help drive a more conscious form of capitalism. So we focus on a lot of business leadership and thought leadership yeah. around a regenerative economy or a conscious, authentic leadership. And Jessa, you know, I mentioned I'm married to James, spouse. Yeah. Well, I say I'm buried or business married to Jessa. <laughs> right. We're 50-50. We're yeah. Um, 
And then when I'm not doing that, my main like source of income, like the bigger, bigger income generator for me is I'm an executive at a company called Controlled Thermal Resources. Yeah. Which we're developing a, a geothermal power project and a lithium plus other minerals mining facility at the southern end of the Salton Sea in Southern California. And so interesting. Yeah. Oh, I'm just like, I'm so excited about this. I got this job right before COVID lockdown. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. When my spouse and everyone else I know and loved lost their jobs, I yeah. was hired on at CTR. And I probably don't tell them this enough, but I love them and I'm so <laughs> grateful because yeah. they've made, they've expanded my life so that I can do these things. And sure. it's a shared, Shared added value between the company and me, and they're so supportive of everything. It just feels awesome. really good. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Like, yeah. Um, so it's geothermal lithium, California Lithium Valley. How did that get started? Yes. So back around like 2013 ish, Rod, our CEO of CTR, secured a leasehold on some property at the Southern and the Salton Sea because it's a known geothermal resource. There are other existing geothermal power plants out here by Berkshire Hathaway, Cal Energy, folks like that. So it's like a well-known, well-studied, established industry. And basically what it is, is it's an underground brine, like hot water, hot, yeah, hot, yeah. hot water. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And the hot water, you can pull up and pull up to the surface and the steam turns a turbine, makes electrons and you put it out on the grid and it goes to all the folks, right? Right. In its simplest fashion. And then the brine that is remaining, they just inject back into the ground, into an injection well. So like these are about 8,000 feet down into the ground yeah. on the production well. And then I think maybe eight to 15,000 on the injection well. Don't quote me on those numbers, but um, <laughs> right. it basically, it just is a closed loop. So there's a teeny itty bitty little industrial facility on the surface. And I say teeny itty little bitty because when in my previous life, before I was, I brought on board and actually saw these things with my own eyeballs, I thought they were like monstrous petroleum plant with humongous structures. Um, yeah. And we can talk about it a little bit more later, but I was pleased to learn that the surface footprint is engineered very efficiently and it's small. And the majority of the good stuff is underground in yeah. the brine. It's just a closed loop system. So, so it's also known that the underground water stuff, if you will, has mm -hmm. minerals in it. Things yeah. that have come into solution in the water. Yeah. So you kind of think of like what we do with water softeners when we pull minerals out or we add minerals into water so that we can drink it or use it for plant establishment and, and restoration. Yeah. It's known that there are things in there like lithium and potassium yeah. and silica and manganese and all these stuff. Well, lithium is is a US critical mineral. It's on the federal list and it's it's good stuff. It's used in phone batteries and electric vehicle mm -hmm. batteries. And oh yeah, yeah. And so originally the project was going to be a geothermal power plant, and then the community, like the industrial community, the business owners, Berkshire, all these folks, were working with engineering tech companies and came up with not recently. This has been done for a while. Like softening water is, is a known thing, but yeah. they came up with like a more efficient way of pulling the lithium out. And so, of course, Rod, the CEO, and his team of experts are working on designing and building this geothermal power plant that will also have lithium 
mining capabilities attached to it. So like the existing geothermal power plants that are out there, yeah, it's 100% renewable baseload energy, by the way. So yeah. it goes 24-7, 365. It's really good to support solar and wind when it's not sunny and it's not windy. You can like turn on the geothermal power instead of uh, gas-fired peaker plants. Right. And so this is like an existing thing that like happens in life. And a lot of Californians <laughs> don't even know it's in their backyard. Right, and, right. and so the existing companies like Berkshire want to add on the lithium because it makes a lot of sense. And so we're just really stoked that we've got these pioneering folks out here in Southern California that are working on projects that align with state and federal policy, especially new ones that have been rolling out like literally this week oh, is wow. really exciting. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I think what makes me super passionate and excited about it being an environmental professional is that it just is a strategic alignment with yeah. so many initiatives that the public agencies and nonprofits and community members want to see, but sometimes you can't do it without the power of business because business scales. Right. And so we're in the process of attracting the right capital to build these projects and do it right. And so we're constantly responding to the market. Like what's the market on lithium? What's the market yeah. for this, that, or the other thing? And recently, um, so the price of lithium has jumped 67% since yeah, January. It's been crazy, yeah. Wow. It's, it's awesome. But what makes me more excited other than the price point and the economics and the, the pro forma of this project is its capacity to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from our largest emission sector, transportation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is an American supply chain for yeah. that resource. So yeah. you have, that's why we call it lithium Valley or it's white gold because <laughs> right. yeah, you can mine this lithium from underground brine in a closed loop system. Wow. The other ways of mining lithium, like in South America are these massive thousands of acres of evaporation ponds. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just to put that in people's minds, it's like, a big, big landscape that you need. And this, and the water evaporates at least behind the salt. And the salt is of a quality that it needs to go to China or elsewhere to be refined. And then it goes from that refinement to a cathode and from cathode to battery, from battery to car. So that's the supply chain and it can go all over the world. And the other way to mine it is like in Australia where they do open pit mining, where you kind of blow up the side of a mountain or a hole in the ground. That too is of a quality where it needs to go to China to be refined then to cathode, then to battery, then to car. We have the potential and the capacity out here in Lithium Valley to completely reshore the entire supply chain, including American-made car, American-made electric vehicles. So you can mine the lithium here in Lithium Valley. It is of a high quality where it doesn't need to be refined. It could go straight to cathode. So you've like chopped out that complexity and enhanced your supply chain efficiency in that regard. And if somebody wants to come out here and build a cathode plant, or battery manufacturing plant, Yeah. then then we can do that whole process. And then we can work with American-made electric vehicles and have an entire American supply chain for this solution to greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector. Yeah. Wow. And pretty help awesome. meet our like extravagant, very lofty California goals for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> carbon neutrality. <laughs> Yeah. How, I mean, is Lithium Valley, you know, it feels like being on the East Coast that California is, you know, further away than it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And um, is Lithium Valley, it's a place that's been here a while, like people know it's there. And then like, how do they find where to pull the lithium from? So it's kind of like the name Lithium Valley. I like it because it's kind of a play on Silicon Valley, you know, when the the tech startup world and we had a big boom and we're like so proud of ourselves. We're like so proud of this region. And Lithium Valley itself is 
kind of a name for the region in Imperial County and a little bit of Riverside County where the Salton Sea is. So this is, if you know where San Diego County is in um, California, it sits on top of Mexico and it's really big. San Diego County is, I think, one of the largest in the United States. Fun fact, it has the highest abundance and diversity of organisms in the United States. It does. (laughs) And so Imperial County sits right to the east of it. And then on top of Imperial yep. County is Riverside and the Salton Sea is in both Riverside and Imperial Counties. And the known geothermal resource is underground and it's like a big blob at the southern end of the Salton Sea. Some of it's under under the sea, some of it's under the exposed playa, some of mm-hmm. it's under other areas. So the existing geothermal power plants right now are drilling into it in a more east and our project is more west, closer okay. to the exposed playa. Okay. And, and it's a so, known thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So do, do you have an expectation about how much lithium you're going to be able to, to extract from this and how yeah. long it'll go? Ooh, it's so much fun to talk about. I mean, I mean, we're, we're nerds here. It's okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I can unleash the, unleash yeah. the nerdiness. So at full build out, so like our dream vision at CTR, yeah. based on how much land control we have and capacity is to generate 1,100 megawatts of power, geothermal power. So that's like like almost a million homes. Wow. I think. Yeah. Again, I'm kind of... I need to brush up on my fun facts here, but it's almost a million <laughs> homes. And right, then right. the lithium, 300,000 tons per annum. So wow. that's a lot. That um, is so many. Yeah. That, wow. Yeah. So like right now, I think we saw in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, just to put this in economic context, Mm-hmm. It's predicted yes, to be at eight sometime in March. Oh yeah, sometime <laughs> March, 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 uh, the second week of March. Lithium was around eighteen, or is predicted to be eighteen thousand dollars a ton. So if you do three hundred thousand <laughs> tons times eighteen thousand dollars, you can kind of see how that could scale. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> and the reason why it's super fun is because this lithium is not only like super high quality, like I mentioned. Yeah, but it's we're gonna sell ourselves some of the power that we're generating. So it's renewable energy mined yeah. lithium, critical yeah. mineral. So you're kind of combining all things in one, really. Um, all the things. We, yeah. That's why we like to think about it from a regenerative perspective. So it's, yeah. it's thinking, how can we add value to every single part of our stakeholders and our supply chain? And we have the capacity to be really creative. Our CEO is a visionary and he, I come to him with ideas and he's like, let's explore that. So, so, and we're very passionate about the Salton Sea region and the community itself. Because the Salton Sea, for those that aren't aware, was written up when I got married in 2012. I mentioned this because I took my husband to the Salton Sea as part of our honeymoon trip. Because <laughs> he's, he's British. He came over on a K-1 fiance visa and we weren't allowed yeah. to leave the country for our wedding. So I was like, let's go to Palm Springs by way of Salton Sea. That's great. And um, oh. at the time, it was in BBC News written as, as a terrible man-made environmental disaster. And then <laughs> right. in October of 2020 or 2019, I'm sorry, October 2019, it was the County of Imperial rated it as a state of emergency for public health issues. Mm. It is really dusty. You know, it's the desert and there's a lot of sediment that gets blown up in the air. And the community is 80% Hispanic at a 28% unemployment rate Mm -hmm. and the 90th percentile for cardiovascular disease and 15,000 children with asthma. So it's, it is a designated California disadvantaged community, which means stuff out here. Like you can get incentives for, for doing work. And so we're thinking to ourselves, 
obviously we're going to create at full build out over 2000 long-term jobs, not like installing a piece of equipment, but like moving levers in a power plant and all the corporate people that need to work in an actual power plant. Yeah. 2000. And we did, we worked with the Imperial Valley Economic Development Corporation to see what impact that would have on the economy. And they said it would generate over 4,000 ancillary jobs, as well as over $350 million in overall earnings and taxes in the community. So for every $1 spent or generated by our company, it generates 1.23. And then the other part of it is, is we really care about the people. And when you care about the people, you care about what they're breathing, what they're drinking, what they're eating. And that is your physical environment. I don't need to tell environmental professionals this, but (laughs) it is like, so habitat restoration Um, not just compensatory mitigation for on-site impacts. Like our plan is to have, to be fully self-mitigating with on-site mitigation. Okay. But beyond that, it's habitat restoration as means of supporting the Pacific flyway for birds, as a means of covering the exposed playa so it stops blowing up dust, whatever we can do. It's such a great thing. And I I love that. But it's it's not even the only thing that you do, right? Like Laura introduced you as a multi-passionate entrepreneur, a stakeholder capitalist, and an environmental professional. Um, Mm -hmm. How do those passions intersect and how on earth do you balance those things? Well, life is interconnected. We are all one. Um, I believe in the Dr. Bronner's philosophy, the all one mindset. So nothing that any of us does, but affects us all. So all of the work that I do professionally is personal growth, development, spiritual enhancement, enlightenment, all those things, it's all connected. So when I do the environmental professional work, it is an added value to my business guides work Mm -hmm. in strategic planning. It's an added value to developing land at CTR. And Mm -hmm. it's an added value to just any stakeholder that touches all of our businesses. I started as an environmental professional about 13 years ago because I really wanted to quote unquote save the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched environments change over time. I used to scuba dive in this area of the Cayman Islands called Cemetery Reef, and mm-hmm. it used to be teeming with life and seahorses. And over the years, my dad and I would scuba dive and snorkel out there. And I would just, over time, you'd see there's no seahorses, the octopus are gone, the coral is bleached. Uh, yeah. And I was just like this, my wild jungle ecosystem life where I get to just sit in the water and stare at things right. emerging and like these magnificent polychaete worms and all these crazy things weren't there anymore. And I was like, I must save yeah, I must, I must yeah. fix this problem. And then when you, when you go about your environmental professional career, you become a consultant, you're in the compliance sector, you realize that compliance and incentives are are very different, that public agencies have a role, nonprofits have a role, business scales, everybody has a role. And then you start to see the literal interconnectedness of everything. Greenhouse Mm -hmm. gas emissions from vehicles, vehicles and mobility affects the quality of life, where people can live, density, where does density go? If I put density in the cities, does that mean I protect the rural communities, but then do they have to drive, which creates more GHG, which how do we plan our mobility? And it could go on and on and on and on. So like, oh, Overall, like planning in my life, there's John Nolan who wrote the first plan for San Diego said there's a place for everything and everything in its place. And that's what I see an ecosystem functions in that way. There's no waste. Everything is reused. It's a fully regenerative system. And so if you were to look at urban communities and human beings, if we're all in right relationship with each other, right relationship with our environment, we're continuously adding value and expanding together with everyone in the right place and a place for everyone. Yeah, That's awesome. You talked about your 
interest in the environment, where it came from, how did you connect that and turn that into a career? Oh, this was oh, 2008, the Great Recession. I graduated yeah. from yeah. University of San Diego with an environmental studies degree in economics minor, mm-hmm. and no one would hire me. I was either overqualified or underqualified for everything. Yeah. And I'm not saying what was me. I, for those of you who aren't making an assumption, I am a white woman and I have a lot of privilege in that regard, just by my sheer existence Mm -hmm. and going to university of San Diego had a lot of privileged doors and Mm -hmm. could not get a job. So I just had enough and I called everyone and I emailed them and I was like, I will literally do anything. I'm a person that comes from a place of yes. Like I, all I want to do is take care of the environment. How do I do that? Please help me. And this company called AMEC Earth and Environmental, which became yeah. AMEC Environment Infrastructure, which became AMEC Foster Wheeler, which is now Wood. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they hired me on. Yeah. yeah. They hired me on as an on-call environmental, on-call marine scientist, $10 an hour mm-hmm. to collect water quality samples. So I was in the storm drains of (laughs) National City Marine Terminal, 10th Avenue Marine Terminal uh, for the Port of San Diego. Yeah. So I was in full yellow crawling in the storm drains. And that's why (laughs) I embarrassingly and lovingly am called a sewer rat by my my partner. Yeah. Uh, Because like it, but it was, it was magnificent to go, okay, I'm collecting the storm water. Why am I doing this? And why does this matter? Yeah. For those that aren't aware, in California, much like New York, we... Well, actually, New York has commingled sewer systems. So we have what's called a multiple separate storm sewer system, or MS4. Yeah. MS4, uh, yeah. Our stormwater, when... So it, it very rarely rains. So anything that's on the road, such as zinc from your tires, oil and grease from your car, jet fuel dust that rains down from the flyway for planes, any contaminants and pollutants and heavy metals builds up on the roads, then it rains. And the stormwater carries all that stuff into the storm sewer system. Now you'd think gross, (laughs) like cigarette butts, plastic, um, oil and grease, all those things. Well, it doesn't get treated in California. It goes straight into the ocean. And oftentimes the storm drains are right at the shoreline. And we are known for our surfers and our surf is outstanding. Yeah. What happens in a rain event is you're, when I collected these water quality samples and you analyze them and you send them to a lab and you get it back, you see the disgustingness, like the fecal oh, yeah. coliform, oh, yeah. the oil and yeah. grease, heavy metals. It's gnarly. And so that's why they tell you to not go in the water for three days after it rains in California. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause you get hepatitis Ugh, and that yeah. we had a hepatitis outbreak a few years ago, not just because of stormwater quality, but also because we have a homeless population that lives at the mm-hmm. beach and we were not taking care of them and they oh, wow. were not taking care of the environment. And so the environment was not taking care of us. Yeah. So oh, nice. um, I learned about that and was horrified and yeah. just kept saying yes to any projects that came my way at AMEC. And I had a phenomenal mentor, Barry Snyder, who said, whenever there's a professional organization that gives you an opportunity to participate or engage in the environmental professional community, consider saying, yes, I know you're, you come from a place of yes, like give it a go. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Yep. 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 Um, So I not only (laughs) said yes to all the marine science work, we worked at Scripps Institution of Oceanography, collecting water quality samples there to understand the impacts on the local area of special biological significance in La Jolla, which just sidebar fun fact, it's an underwater 
submarine canyon that's teeming with life. It's like a it's like an underwater forest, the kelp forest over there. Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And so yeah. it's it's super special, and the ecosystem there is super special. And so we monitor the water quality there because it is special and protected. Yeah, yeah of course, um, of course. So I was doing that and learning a lot about how the marine micro macro fauna affect in the water column affect pollution in the water and how pollution in the water affects climate and the, just the circular nature of the ecosystem and how it affects everything. And I just said yes to every single project that came my way. And then when the San Diego chapter of the Association of Environmental Professionals were looking for a newsletter editor, I said yes. Yeah, and there was yeah. a big pivotal moment that changed the game for me. President Obama came out with the American Reinvestment and Recovery Act of 2008, which was an economic stimulus package mm-hmm. to provide funding specifically for priority capital improvement projects. So roads, bridges, culverts, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And so AMEC at the time had a long-term on-call environmental services contract with the County of San Diego. Mm-hmm to perform environmental consulting work for CEQA, NEPA, and Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act permitting, all the environmental land use permitting stuff. And they, the County of San Diego in the Public Works Environmental Services Unit needed a junior planner that they could like boss around and help support (laughs) the incoming ARRA applications and review them and apply for grants and apply for stimulus. So some of, so I was like, yes. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. And so I got to sit in their office and learn about what planning is. Like, how do public works planners review projects, apply for environmental permits, process them, construct them, monitor them, build them? Like, how do they, what are roads and how do they get done? (laughs) (laughs) So like participating in that was phenomenal. And I ended up, again, just coming from that place of yes. So anytime they had a special project that needed to be done or an application to review, anything, I just said yes. And I ended up being so useful that I was there almost full-time. Well, it was full-time, like 40 hours a week for three Mm -hmm. years straight. Wow. And before I knew it, I was like a CEQA practitioner. And I was doing NEPA documents. And it it was just like, and now at at CTR, the reason why they hired me in this role is because the regulatory compliance stuff is so complicated and confusing Mm -hmm. at the federal, state, and local level. And whether this is a blessing or a curse, my mind works that way. Like it sees it as a constellation or a map of intersectionality, if you will. Yeah. And so I get it. Like one, if you move one thing over here, it affects this and this and this and this and this. And so I just have this strategic mind Yeah. because I went through the trenches or went through the culverts, (laughs) excuse me, of, of what land use and environmental permitting is. So I'm a regulatory specialist, but now in my career, I look at it from a strategic point of view and how can I add value I'm really glad that you brought that up about starting at $10 and literally in the Mm -hmm. trenches because I also started at $10 an hour sorting (laughs) sediment samples. So there you go. Oh my God. (laughs) Friendship. Yeah. We're Laura, we're like the same. I was counting copepods in marine biosediment or like sediment. Oh God, this is bringing me back. So at University of San Diego, I studied abroad in Mm -hmm. Bahia Magdalena, near Bahia Magdalena, that's Baja California sewer. Yeah, where the wow. wild, where the whales um, yeah. calf, and oh, yeah. and so we would go collect sediment and water samples, and my job was to count all 
yeah. the copepods right, in the right, sediment. Right, right. Oh my God, there's copepod A, copepod B. I had nightmares about polychaetes. I'd have- yeah. Polychaetes! You know, oh my guys. God, I'd close my eyes and I would see these alien looking monsters. <laughs> yeah. <It> was, yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. I have, an, I have another fun fact. I've yeah, thrown yeah. up into microscopes multiple times because- oh. Oh wow! <laughs> that I did not do. We did not have that in common. <laughs> so far, so far. I, I know. Yeah, TBD, right? The, yeah. the world is your oyster. <laughs> At USD, we have this thing called winter sessions. So January, mm. you basically have off, or you can take a four-week course. And they made it more affordable to go study abroad mm-hmm. during winter session than to stay. And so we went to Tahiti and studied marine biogeochemistry. Mm. And for a week, we were on a brigantine collecting oceanographic samples. And that is how you barf in a microscope. (laughs) When you have, you're counting plankton. (laughs) Yeah. In case you wanted to know, like diatoms and dinoflagellates under a microscope look like you're on serious psychedelic drugs. And then, and you're swaying back and forth in the open ocean. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. had that experience. Mm-hmm. That would do it. Uh, gosh, I have to say, I have to say it. It's uh, you mentioned, see, calving, you know, so we're talking about baby whales. And the thing we spent mm-hmm. the past five minutes on is <laughs> the nightmares that you see in the water. That's how you know it's a nerdy podcast. I love that. It's so great. From the micro to the macro. Yeah. yeah. People listening need to understand you got to start somewhere. I oh, So yeah. many young oh, yeah. people are like, this job doesn't pay enough. It's an internship and it only pays $20 an hour. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Get it, girl. started somewhere. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Go for it. Give it a go. I think that is a takeaway yeah. for the listeners is that was like, it was $10 an hour on call, no benefits. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And worth it. So like the yeah. finances are not your only metric of success. The human relationships that I formed and covet and yes. cherish yes. to this day. Like I just, Barry Snyder, start of it all. And yeah. like my one of my first bosses, Ryan Benz, who's now at Harrison Associates. These are people that to this day are supporting me. They are AEP and NAEP are a network of like-minded individuals and professionals that you can call on for support personally, professionally, and for technical expertise. Yes, exactly. And I do not hesitate to do that because when you take on a job and you give it a go and you give it your all, you show up 100% for your role, mm-hmm. the world will unfold. Yeah. I just got just chills. Just let it happen. Did, did anybody else just get chills? Because I just got chills. I don't know. <laughs> Join NAEP. Get involved. Yeah. We need volunteers yes. for our podcast, by the way. I would like to just put that little spotlight in there. Plus, NAEP has volunteer opportunities in all of our other multitude of working groups and committees. Just waiting for someone to raise their hand. And as you said, say yes. Say yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing how one out of a hundred people will be that person. And then they will yeah. be the one everyone else is going, how come they got everything they wanted? <laughs> exactly. And I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like our my mantra in my marriage is yes and love. So if right. we come to something, we get really stuck on it. So like there's mm-hmm. this job opportunity, this volunteer opportunity, this committee opportunity, and I'm stuck on it. I'm going, what is this commitment I'm getting myself into? Mm-hmm. Go, yes, this is going to be for the highest good. And I'm going to build upon that and maximize it and optimize it for myself, for my relationships and for my career. And I'm going to come at it Every single time there's an opportunity to choose fear or love, I'm going to choose love. Yes, yeah. and love. And yeah. then like, even if things go wrong, quote unquote wrong, it's actually, mm-hmm. it's actually right. Yeah. Right. Everything's an experience. Absolutely. You learn something every time. 
it's going to feel really good. And like the people there, even if you're an introvert, clearly I'm not, I'm an extrovert, but <laughs> if, you're an in, who? <laughs> if you're an introvert, these human connections are so critical, even if there's yes. only one or two. We know this is super important to you. So I want it, we did want to give you the floor for just a minute to talk yeah. about your free spirit self and, um, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. It's a lot. You can tell I live in California because I'm woo woo. (laughs) There's like a confluence. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't. I I own it. (laughs) I own it. I am stepping into the woo woo and shining. I, um, (laughs) I've been through uh, a lot of peaks and valleys professionally and personally. And one specific I can mention is at the AEP conference in Monterey, I had a panic attack. And I didn't know what a panic attack was. I was like laying in the bed, calming down. Like I was in a perfectly calm state. (laughs) So I'm laying down and I'm getting ready to go out for the evening's activities for the conference uh, in Monterey. And it's beautiful. And all of a sudden my arms and my hands cramp up. They look like claws and Mm -hmm. I can't feel my legs and Mm -hmm. I can't really feel my hands or my arms. And my... AEP friend, professional woman I respect so deeply saved me. She had to bust in my hotel room, put clothes on me because I was Mm. not clothed Mm. and take me to the hospital where the people walked me through the day and asked me questions. And it came to a to a realization that I was totally and completely overwhelmed, that this Mm. was a panic attack and I was burnt out. But I didn't know... Yeah. That I felt that way because I had been masking it with things like alcohol, caffeine, food, work. So putting the pedal to the metal and not feeling anything, but doing really well at work, like saying yes to everything, right? So here's your here's your cautionary tale of saying yes to everything. (laughs) You have to do it with respect to yourself. Exactly. And so it really woke me up to the fact that I was asleep at the wheel Mm -hmm. and not feeling anything. And I had a couple of family fallouts, like personal things where I was like, oh man, my life, like I'm exceeding. I'm making a lot of money. I'm doing really well. I've got fulfilling work life. I was <laughs> not behaving to my authentic self. So I explored a lot of different modalities for healing. And one of the biggest ones I did was a, a human business intelligence assessment with this group at XQ Innovation in Orange County. Mm-hmm. And they helped me realize that I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah, (laughs) And some of my frustrations and anger and resentment was that I see the vision. I know the steps that it takes to get to that vision. People aren't going fast enough. They're not listening to me and they're not doing what I want. And that's because I'm not the boss. (laughs) (laughs) And so to live a more happier, fulfilling life, I need to step into my bosshood and launch a business. And so that's what I did. Yeah. And it is another I, one of our parallels. <laughs> uh, see, see, you're a boss. Yeah. And meeting Jessa and launching a Stellar Co, I like to call my spiritual practice and my healing yeah. because things that come through that self awareness, cultivating right relationships with the human environment as well as our physical environment, and applying that to the economy so that we can make good profit. Yeah. Like ethical monies is my healing. That's my purpose. That's my passion. And so I explore other things like psychedelics for unblocking my heart because some of my coping mechanisms like drinking alcohol and caffeine and everything was to block it all and to like harden it and cover it up. And you don't really have that control when you're on different 
legal modalities, by the way, like legal psychedelics, like (laughs) (laughs) these are, these are legal everywhere. And ketamine, for example, is the one I used and it, it just unlocked my heart and allowed me to address my fears and address my anxieties in a safe space. And now I'm not scared of anything. Like I'm just not. And so I don't, I don't come at things from, I'm going to fight you, argue you, win like that. Like I kind of learned that my Enneagram personality type, my type eight, I'm the challenger. And if I'm unhealthy, I'm Donald J. Trump. And if I'm healthy, I'm Martin Luther King Jr. So go. I'm either yeah. channeling Martin or Donald, and it's a daily choice I can make. Right. Yeah. Through self care. And so that's my like stepping in to be a cosmic mother where I am free to birth ideas, potentially birth humans, like co create life yeah. and ideas on a free flowing basis. It requires one to constantly be in the pursuit of self awareness. Mm-hmm. expansion of consciousness, self-care, and coming from a place of true love. Like, I love you, Laura. I love you, Nick. Thank you for having me kind of yeah. place. Oh, yeah. I love and, you back. And uh, and we just met. So, hey, let's, let's slow down a little bit. Okay. No, I'm just huh. kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, I, I, I really, I, on, Nick, I love unlock yourself that. I, so unlock listen, it. This is, I was just getting ready to say the thing that, that really that touches with, to me, you know, like I've, I've gone through those same things and I think you know, as a kid, just like simple things like saying, I love you. I love my brother. I love, you know, people in my life that just... I just, love lamp. I love lamp. Yeah. <laughs> I love pizza. <laughs> I love lamp. Oh, that's great. Great reference, by the way. Um, the, um, it's just some, one of those things that takes a long time. And so often we hide exactly, you're exactly right. We hide behind other things because we're not saying, I love you, Laurel. Right. Yes. You're saying, Thank you, Nick. I love yeah. you. Right. And it's, so it's still, it's, it's a work in progress too. I think, you know, you're not, it's never like, you're like, I, now I know what's wrong. I am automatically better, you know, and there's always a spectrum. And I think it's such a good thing for you to bring up. And um, yeah. I really, I hate to say we're running out of time, but we are. And I, and so is there anything else that you want to talk about or anything else you want to share with the audience? Yes. I want individuals in the environmental profession and everyone that's listening to, consider a new way of living your life so that you can exceed your own expectations and just just like enjoy your human trip yeah. on earth right <laughs> yeah and one of the newest tools that has expanded my life is a thing called cycle syncing and it's really helpful for men and women we're all on the 24 hour circadian rhythm with the mm-hmm. sun so we yeah. eat and sleep and all those things with the 24-hour clock. And that's how our society was set up. Men and your hormones are synced to that really well. And you wake up and cortisol helps you wake up. And then you eat food. You go to work at nine. You end at five and you go to happy hour and then you have dinner. And that whole system, that 24-hour Monday through Friday work week, was set up by male patriarchy because that's how your clock works and you mm-hmm. operate the best. At yeah. three o'clock in the day, you're running out of steam. So you need that happy hour to, to have some human connection before you wind down and, and go home. Well, women are not only on that clock, but we're also on the infradian rhythm. Mm-hmm. So our hormones are synced up to a 28-day cycle. And when you learn about the four phases of the infradian rhythm and you learn mm-hmm. how to, what to eat, how to exercise or when to exercise and what type of exercise and how that affects your hormones and your mood and what tasks at work to do and what phases, mm-hmm. it changes your life. I recently yeah. told the folks at CTR, like there's going to be like at this this point in time, it's best for me to be working on technical stuff at this point in time, send me out into the world 
to talk and explain at this point in time, let's go out and do some business development capital raise. And when you sync up your life like that and men see women who are fulfilling their best selves, it makes everyone better. So cycle syncing is a consideration. And then finally, cultivating daily rituals that aren't on the 24-hour clock that can be flexible. Mm -hmm. I've found that a daily ritual, no matter what times it happens in the day, maybe it's early, maybe it's later. But above all things, I first take care of myself. So I plan first, what am I going to do to love Laurel? Mm -hmm. Second, what am I going to do to take care of my human relationships? Yeah. I love you. I love, I love Laura. I love Nick. I love James. I love Lamp. How am I taking care of all these relationships? And then you take care of your career in that order. So self relationships, career, and the abundance, the profit, the performance, the tasks, the productivity, everything Everything, flows. That's a flow state. So cycle syncing and daily routines to reach your flow state is what I want everyone to consider. That's such a awesome. yeah, great, great point. And thank you so much for being here. Like I said, I wish we could talk longer. But yeah, please do check her out. Laurel Lees, thank you so much for being here. Ooh, thank you, guys. Thanks, Laurel. Uh, Look forward to talking again very soon. I love you. I love you. <laughs> love you. All right, that's our show. Thank you so much to Laurel Glass Lees for joining us. She is just so full i love it all the way from science to the woo-woo stuff to not in a woo-woo crazy way just like yeah yeah. you can see how she actually ties all of that together to just be who she is awesome yeah and so that's our show you You did that's okay (laughs) i uh, used to it actually it's my day-to-day it's uh i'm married i understand um Anyway, be sure to check us out next Friday as always. And don't forget to subscribe before you leave and give us a nice rating and review. Thanks, everybody. Bye.